0: The following audio is a recording from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. Now we kick off a new teaching series this morning through a book of Galatians. And uh, you may or may not be familiar with um, Galatians or uh, where it is in your Bible. And I have a really fun way of, I guess, uh, memorizing where it falls in context with the rest of the Bible. It's in the New Testament. The New Testament starts out with the Gospels, uh, written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then it goes to the Acts of the Apostles, and then it starts off with a few letters by Paul, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, um, and then we see Galatians, and and I I remember by uh, the little acronym, uh, Go Eat Popcorn, Galatians, uh, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, that's the order of the book. I don't know what yours is, Uh, get one, find one, uh, make it memorable go eat popcorn in his mind. And so that's where Galatians falls in context with the, the New Testament. Not a big book, but we're going to spend 12 uh, weeks in this. And we love going through books of the Bible. Um, I'm so glad that you're with us this morning. If you're here because a friend invited you and said, come to Holy Cross, and uh, we're glad that you're here. We're glad that your friend loves you and cares for you enough to, to invite you to church. And thanks for taking that step of faith, because I know it is not easy to visit a church, and it's definitely not easy to, to begin this journey uh, in a place where you're unfamiliar with. And if you're here, maybe you're here alone. Uh, I hope that as time goes on and you keep plugging in, then you will come to church and you'll see a lot of familiar faces and friends that you've been able to connect with. And I hope that you don't feel like a stranger for for far too long. And so, um, but welcome, let's, uh, whatever your circumstance is, whether you're Christian, not uh, not a Christian, uh, thank you for being here. I'm so glad that you are here. Um, Quick introduction to the book of Galatians. It's written by a man named Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament. It's written about 49 A.D., and uh, making it one of, uh, one of, if not the earliest book written in the New Testament. And it was written to a church that Paul started. He was a church planner and a missionary, and he went around uh, the Roman provinces and started churches, and And he started this church in, in Galatia, which is in a uh, southern, uh, southern Roman province, now uh, modern-day Turkey. I'll uh, give you a little bit of geographic understanding there, and you're thinking, where's Turkey? Um, <clears throat> well, I'm not sure. Uh, so, <laughs> now a very... <laughs> Now, what is Galatians about? Now, don't be afraid what I'm about to do. Uh, we don't do this a lot, uh, but this is a chance, I guess, for you to communicate with me, not just me talking to you. And so, what is the book of Galatians about? What is this 12 weeks really going to be wrapped around? I want you just to look at the cover of your bulletin real quick. Just look at the cover of your bulletin, and, and I want you to just give me a, a one-word caption on what the book of Galatians is about. Free? Free? How did you get that from, no, you're absolutely right, well done, good job, free, this is about freedom, this is about freedom from a performance-based love from God. This is about freedom, and not physical freedom, but spiritual freedom, and the next several weeks we're going to be really spending this time discovering what does it mean to be free in Christ. And it's an amazing book. Galatians chapter 5, as we'll get into in a few weeks, says, For freedom Christ has set you free. What did Christ do? He sets us free. Why did he do it? So that we could be free. And we see this thread throughout the entire book. And so it's, this is what this letter is about. It's about overcoming, it's this, I'm sorry, it's this overarching theme and in, in the aim of this letter. We're going to learn how to live a life of freedom in Christ. And we all need that. So let's pick up our Bibles. Let's pick up and start in Galatians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. You may have a similar situation like I did growing up. You may be even doing this with your own children now, where if you, when you go on vacation, you go to an amusement park or the zoo, or you go to uh, someplace else, even the mall, you have a home base, you have a point, In that place where if you were to get separated, if you were to become lost, distracted, disoriented, you had a place that you determined for your family and for your children, here's where we meet if there's a disconnect. Here's where we meet if we get broken up from one another. And now, what is happening in this passage is exactly that. Paul has started this church. He has spoken the truth of Christ and what Christ has done to them. And they have become separated in their understanding of what that, what that work of Christ really accomplished and what it really meant at the heart of it. And this is a good, a good thing, a good practice to establish in your family and what Paul is doing here to creating this home base. For if, if, if no one was looking for you, like in the case of my childhood, when I become disconnected, I go to home base, but still no one shows up. Maybe that happens to you. The home base becomes irrelevant. But here, the home base is so important, and they have messed up. They have become spiritually disconnected. They have become disoriented. they become distracted from the heart of the gospel that Paul preached to them. And Paul is bringing them back to home base. And he is going to do this for the rest of this entire book, and he, and he jumps in right now. Now, this book, the way he starts out is very different from many of his books, many, many of his letters that he writes to these churches. You know, normally he would, he would go on in, in a really long introduction where he would thank them and he would, he would rejoice with them in their embracing of the gospel. But here he jumps right in and says, I am astonished that so quickly you have deserted the gospel that I've preached to you. Something is going on here. Paul is loving his church that he planted He's established leadership in this church, and he's built a community on the grace of God. And this is what he calls the gospel. The grace of Jesus Christ is the gospel, and he uses that somewhat interchangeably. Now, as he checks in, he's astonished. He's amazed. He is blown away by the the theology that they have brought on, the things that have been added to what Paul has preached, the simplicity of the gospel of grace that he brought to them. They've messed up. They've been deceived. They've become entangled in so many different sins. And the big question for us, and the big question for these people might be, is there a way back? Is there a way? Okay, maybe we have, if you are right, maybe we have become confused. Is there a way back? And Paul says with a resounding yes, there is a way back. Yes, and it's not the way that you might think. How, after we've become distracted, disoriented, entangled in a life of sin, how do we now get back to the grace of God? And Paul says there is a way back, but it's not the way back that you might assume. It is not through doing something. It is not in changing your character. It's not in turning over a new leaf and becoming the better person that you know that God wants you to be. The only way back to freedom in Christ, free from the sin that entangles us, is through the grace of Christ. And real freedom is experienced only in this way. And it's summed up in verse 3. Go back to verse 3 as we read it. He says, Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and father the gospel what is the gospel paul what is this grace of god that we need to have as our home base that we always go back to what is it if you could sum it up for me what would it be and this is what paul is saying the gospel is summed up in this christ gave himself for our sins there is nothing more important in paul's life in our entire life than to know how to respond to that statement how do we respond to 1 Galatians, Galatians chapter 1, verse 3? It's more important than finding a job. It's more important than finding a spouse. It's more important than cleaning up your life. It's more important than becoming a better person. The most important thing in our life and in Paul's life and in his theology is how we embrace and respond to Galatians 1, 3. Christ gave himself for sinners. And and what do I mean by this? That that freedom from a freedom is not found in this performance based work, this performance based love to God. Paul, the only way to real freedom was to see this reality, embrace this truth, and respond to it with one word. And I'll flesh out what that one word is. That one word is Amen. Now, what an interesting way to begin a letter. This is the way that Paul would normally end a letter, and it's the way that we normally end a prayer, where we pray, and at the end of the prayer, when we're done with that thought, we would say, Amen. We know what that is. You don't have to be in the church for a long time to know the word, Amen. And Paul is saying here, he's, he's fleshing out what the gospel, it really is, and then he ends it with, Amen. And in doing that, Paul is ushering his listeners in these churches and us to to proclaim with a confession our belief in that statement by saying amen and embracing amen. It's an interesting place to put this in this point in his letter. And by rehearsing what God has done for us, he invites us to voice our agreement to this gospel with our confession of amen. And it seems like a very simple thing to do, doesn't it? Just say amen. But amen does not mean a simple yep or a yes. Laura, I agree with that. And amen is so actually, it's not as easy as you might think. It's actually very difficult to do. A real amen is actually very difficult. Saying amen to the work of Christ for sinners is something that we say with our heart and not just with our head, not just with the words of our mouth. It's something that we say with our heart. And when we do that, it is our way, of moving as a spectator to the gospel and a participant in the gospel of grace that Christ gives to us. Saying amen, believing this, embracing this, resting our hope and our life on the work that Christ has done moves us from simply looking into God and what he has done and becoming a participant in the story of God's grace. And Paul wants his people to do this. It is our way, saying amen to the work of Christ is our way of trusting not in ourselves, but in Jesus for salvation. Well, how do I know then? How do I know if if I'm a person that has actually done that? And I would want you to ask that question of yourself. Is there any indication, how do I know if if I'm just a spectator, or if I've been a spectator my whole life, or how do I know if I've really participated and am participating in the gospel of grace that God extends to to sinners. And our passage reveals a couple things that we should look at, a couple implications. Look at your own life and see if these things are real for you. The first one is we see this gospel power. Paul says in verse 1 that he was called... Not by man, not by men, not by testimony of others, but he was called through Jesus Christ. And and the God, the Father, who raised Jesus Christ, the power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that called Paul. The same power, the same resurrecting power is what placed the gospel of grace in Paul's life. And he knew it. He knew it wasn't just a transfer of information. Here, Paul, here is the gospel. Go tell people about it. It was a life-altering, powerful change in his life where he knew the same power that could raise a man from the dead is working in me. That's powerful. And that's the gospel. The same power. What does this mean practically? You know, I've heard Christians say, I've heard people say, you know, I've, I was raised in a Christian home, I've been a Christian my whole entire life, I've, I've known uh, Jesus my whole life, and, and, and I know I'm a Christian because my parents have always told me about Jesus. First of all, that, that may be your story, and, and I want to say, first of all, I'm so glad that it is, because I'm so glad that you were raised in a home where you never were at a place where you didn't know the name Jesus, that, you were, that your parents loved you so much where they always told you about Jesus. But there is something more that Paul is praying for these people. And there's something that I pray for my children every single night when I put them to bed, is that they're they're being raised in a Christian home. And I am praying, God, would you show them your grace? Would you do something drastic in their life so that they would know you personally? Would the power of your gospel contend with them? soften their heart, bring them to saying amen to the work that you have done for them. Because I cannot carry it for them. I cannot give them the grace of God. I cannot give them salvation by just telling them about Jesus. And Paul is wanting that for his church. The Bible depicts the grace of God as a disturbance in the life of a person. Isn't that amazing? Have you ever seen it like that? The grace of God is not something that just makes us feel good and makes us feel good about ourselves. It's actually quite disturbing. It's coming into our life and saying, you cannot do this on your own. You need the grace of God. And it's something that when it is filled in your life, gives you this changed perspective on God and yourself. And it doesn't have to be traumatic. It doesn't have to be this this crazy, very dramatic and chaotic thing. It doesn't have to be, I once was a meth addict, now I'm a Christian. Thanks for the grace of God. That may be your story, and I'm I'm glad you're here. Okay? If that is your story, wonderful. But it doesn't have to be that. Your story doesn't have to be, I rebelled, I lived a life away from the church and away from God, and here are all the sins I committed, and now I don't commit those sins anymore. Your your, Your testimony does not have to be that. Because we are filled with the grace of God, not by a performance-based love, but by the pleasure of Christ alone. And when it comes into our life, it dramatically changes. It is a disturbance in how we've seen everything. The gospel is more than information about God. It is the powerful rescue of God. It needs to be more than just information for you. It needs to be the powerful rescue. And that's what it means when we say amen to grace, that we are seeing this powerful rescue, that God has come into our life and disturbed how we see ourselves and him and the world around us, and we say amen to his work. Now, if someone was drowning, you'd think of the situation of someone's drowning and you're standing on the edge of the dock and you're looking at this person drowning you would never, I hope you would never, go over to this person and begin to give them a lesson on human buoyancy. Okay? You wouldn't try to convince them that it's probably not good for their health to drink water and and to breathe in water. You would not just want to inform them. You would jump in. You would throw them a rope. You would rescue them. And that is what the grace of God does. So, Christianity... Knowing Jesus, trusting in Him for the forgiveness of sins is not merely a transfer of information. It is the rescue of God. It is Him throwing Himself to us because we are hopeless without it. Knowing God is not about knowing a Bible lesson. It's about experiencing this rescuing power that only God can give. And here's the second thing as he walks through this. A second thing that we see as an evidence of the gospel working in a person's life. The gospel power and the gospel peace. The gospel is the root and peace is the fruit. Maybe you've heard that before. Our peace in life will be determined by the degree in which we believe that Christ died for us. Do you pass the peace test? People who live trying to gain the acceptance of God and the acceptance of others by their behavior are not peaceful people. Have you, have, do you know these kinds of people? Maybe you see some of this within your own life, that you see that it's, there's this peace that's been disturbed, but you're trying to gain acceptance with God by doing, and you're trying to make friends and gain acceptance with friends by doing, and you're still very much at, at an unrest, And people who trust in the grace of God can succeed or fail and not be crushed. Someone who trusts in the grace of God can do very well. And when they succeed, they don't say, look at all that I did, patting themselves on the back and saying, aren't I wonderful? But when they succeed, they succeed well and they say, thank you, God, for the gift, for the ability, for the privilege of working and seeing fruit of that work. And people know that it's by God's grace that they have that ability to do that. People who trust in the grace of God fail well. And what do I mean by that? When they see their weaknesses, when they fail in the face of others and they feel humiliated, they are not crushed by it. They, are, they do not say, what do I do now? What are people going to think? Where am I sp- how am I supposed to ever make it better? But people fail well because they trust in the grace of God and they say, I'm not defined by my weakness. I'm not defined by my failures because I rest in Christ and not in my performance. And so they have this grace-motivated work, this grace-motivated success, and grace-motivated failure. Grace is not motivating the failure, but when we do fail, we're motivated to work through that, to look at our weakness with humility and say, God, how do I go forward from here? And here is the big deal. Is this a really big deal? To what extent should we see this, this priority list for Paul? How high does this rank on Paul's list of what's important for a Christian to know? I would say it is supremely important. And he indicates that by saying, I am astonished that you would so quickly desert him who called you. And he says it again, if anybody gives you anything else than the gospel of grace that I've preached to you, let him be accursed. Paul goes very close, but doesn't quite get there to say, tell them to go to hell. I don't recommend this. If someone tells you some, don't say go to hell. But you're saying tell these thoughts, tell these, tell these perspectives, tell these things to go to hell. These are not from God. When we take the grace of God and add anything to the grace of God as a requirement for salvation, we are adding to God's grace, his story. And that is from hell. Paul says, let them be and he says, I've told you before and I'll tell you again. This is Paul's MO. He's like, it's grace alone. We are saved by God's grace alone. I am astonished. He's launching into this sermon to, in an attempt to convince them how crazy it is to believe anything that doesn't rest on the grace of God. He says, an, a compromised gospel is not just a different gospel. It's no gospel at all. The word he uses, distort, he says there's people that are, that are distorting the gospel and distorting your view of the gospel. And this word literally means reversing, a reversal of the gospel. Not, it's not just different, it's actually quite the opposite. And I think a lot of times when we see different perspectives that might be grace plus something else, you say, well, this is a version of Christianity, so there's a lot of good in it because it's there are some really th- things that are really good in it. But Paul is saying, no, this is not Christianity at all. A gospel with anything added to it is not the gospel, and that's what hap- what's happening with these people. The gospel must be pure, or it's not the gospel at all. I love this show called Pawn Stars. I'm sorry, be very careful how I say that. And it's a great, uh, I love this show. It's, it's basically guys just buying and selling things. People come into the store, and they come up with things. It's basically an, the antique road show for cool people. And uh, <coughs> they come into the store, and I want to be cool, so I <laughs> watch it. Um, they come in, and they bring in an item, and they, and, they, and they say they want to sell it. And then it's really great. You see a lot of history. You learn about a lot of things, and, and you really are quite educated in it. And it's really interesting. A lot of things they, they buy, bring in a lot of times are guns. They bring in guns all the time. And I love watching about these guns because they're like Civil War era and, and things are just really old and really valuable. And they, they often will come in with a gun that is that is worth thousands of dollars and, and the owner will just say, I don't want this. I, I'm sorry, I can't be a buyer. I won't, I, I'm sorry, I can't even offer you anything. And the sellers become very frustrated. Well, why? It's a good gun. And the, the owner will say, well, who cleaned it? Who... Uh, I, uh, who put this new, this is not a stock barrel, this is not a stock handle, who put this new screw in here, it's not original to the part, and the guy's like, well, yeah, I, I, I did that, I put that screw in because the, the uh, original one fell out, and they said, well, at least, it, maybe it's not worth 5,000, but maybe it'll be worth 1,000, and, and the owner would say, it's been compromised, It's it, it's not worth anything, because it's been compromised, and I will only take it if it's the pure thing, if it's the unrevised version. And they're frustrated. They're like w- wondering why. If it's, if it's worth that much, if it's perfect, surely it'll be worth something if it's just halfway perfect. And we can approach Christianity that way. We can approach God's word and, and, and the gospel that way. Well, I mean, you know, it's not that threatening to, to the word of God if we, if we add in some other perspectives. Or if we say, yes, God's grace, but something else. Let's try... Let's try really hard to earn God's favor in case we, we don't feel his grace. And Paul is saying it, it, it's, it's not a compromise of perspectives. It is the only pure gospel or no gospel at all. How do we know if the gospel is being distorted? How do we know if it's being reversed in our life, in our day, in our culture? And Paul has two criteria that I think are timeless. They were timeless then and they're timeless for us now. He says we must teach that, that we are too sinful to contribute our own salvation. Paul is saying we need the rescue of God. We mentioned that before. We need Christ to come in and fully rescue us. We are incapable of meeting God halfway. So anything that teaches that we can meet God halfway. Jesus died, now it's up to you to rise up to the occasion and be a great person. Paul says we are incapable. We need the grace of God to rescue us. We're drowning. And actually the Bible says, Perspective is not just we're drowning, but we've actually drowned already. We are dead. We need to be resurrected. And only God can do that. And the second thing is we are saved by belief in Jesus' work, the grace of Christ, and nothing else. Paul is adamant about maintaining this purity in the gospel that we do not add anything to it to such an extent that is remarkable. He says, even if I come to you one day as your pastor and church planter, and shepherd and change my mind tell me to go to hell paul says if if i if anybody else if an angel comes to you with a different message it's from hell So Paul's very, very serious. He's saying, even I. So I can't come to you and say, I've changed my mind. My my, my theology has evolved. I've learned that this is impractical. Let's bring in some other thoughts. And what Paul is showing us is something so important for us. If we desire to know God and to know Jesus more and begin or maintain this journey of, of knowing Jesus, the Bible, we must see that the Bible is what judges our theology, not the other way around. We are, the the, the Bible speaks meaning into our life. We do not speak meaning into God's word. And so Paul is saying, if this is from God, we cannot change it, we cannot adjust it, we cannot revise it. So our judge is God's word. We do not judge God's word on its validity. We see that he's revealed himself to us and we humbly go, this is what is true. Let me say amen to God's word. We see the pure gospel of grace here and it's fleshed out more and more through the rest of these chapters and I hope you're excited to see that. It's fleshed out more and more in the weeks to come as we walk through this. But here it is clear. The gospel of grace is God's favor given to us apart from our spiritual performance. What would change in your life if you started to believe that with great passion? (laughs) That the gospel of grace is given to us apart from from our spiritual performance. I imagine it would give you power. I imagine it would give you peace. I imagine you begin to see things differently, your relationships, your, your, your walking towards Christ, your work for God, would be seen in, uh, under, before, uh, bef- through different lenses. Now here's where I want to close. I want to give you five things to do to get the grace of God. No, I'm totally kidding. Most of you are like, okay, this is good. Let me get my notes down. Okay, five things to do to get the grace of God, right? Just give me some things to do. But that's normally how we, that's how we do it. We talk about the grace of God. You can't do anything to deserve it. But here are five things to do that you need to do to get it. And, and, and everybody's head went down. You are ready to write it. Shame on you. Here's the problem. We hear about grace and we're so programmed to do and to earn and to work our way to God's love. And we say, "Okay, maybe there's not five, but just but but give me something to do. I'll feel better if I can if I feel better about myself and accepting God's love if I at least clean up something." Then you'll never understand God's grace the way he wants you to. Here's a quote by Martin Luther who basically His life was hunted because he believed what I just told you. He says, It's certain that man must utterly despair of his own ability before he is prepared to receive the grace of Christ. And when Martin Luther died, he had in his hand a little piece of paper. And when they opened up his hand and saw the piece of paper, on the paper were these words, We are beggars. This is true. And that's it. Because understanding the book of Galatians is what gave Paul this confidence in the grace of God. This theology that was pure. Paul Martin Luther wasn't a perfect person. He didn't do everything right. But he understood this. He understood what the gospel was. And what it wasn't. And I wonder what he was saying. I think of Jesus in that story where he goes to that man, he's teaching, and a man comes up, and we learn that this man is very rich. He has a lot of money, he's wealthy, and he says, What must I do to inherit the kingdom? What must I do to be saved? I've done this, I follow these commands, and 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 all these things. What else must I do? And Jesus said, Take all your possessions and give them to the poor. And it says that this man walked away. Why? Because he was very rich. He walked away sad because he was very wealthy. And we don't know exactly what Jesus was getting that. There's a lot of speculation we could guess. And a lot of our guesses would probably be pretty consistent with his true meaning. What did it mean for him? Did he, did he say that we all need to be poor without possessions? But I think that Jesus was saying something else. He says, this is what you must do. Be a beggar. And if you give away all your possessions, you'll know what it's like to be a beggar for sustenance, for your life, for your livelihood, for your well-being. Be a beggar, and that's what it's like to receive the grace of God. What must I do? You must be a beggar. Paul says if we come trusting the the grace of God, of God is given to us, that Jesus gave himself for us, that word for, as a substitution in our place. And we say to that, amen, I participate in that. By faith, I engage in that. My story is a part of this gospel story. Are you a beggar? Do you see your life with God as one of a beggar? to one who is fully capable of giving you everything that you need and giving you complete joy that he's prepared for you. If you're not a beggar, then you are relying on something other than God's grace to find acceptance with God. And I would say, take Jesus. Take Jesus right now and nothing else. And we practice communion every week. We prepare this table every week, and we pray for you. And this is not just a memorial. This is a demonstration, a physical representation of Galatians 1-3, that Christ gave himself for sinners. What must we do? We take him. We beg for it. We place our hope in what he has done, that he gave himself for us as a substitution. And we have acceptance with God, not because of our own righteousness, but the righteousness of Christ that has been credited to us credited to us by faith the communion supper for the first time or for the hundredth time wherever you are take Jesus today you say why well, I, I don't I've never taken communion before then take him today for the first time and trust in him and say amen to the work he's done for you let's pray For more audio and information, please visit HolyCrossTucson.com.